Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Have you enjoyed my teaching on family and believing God for your children? Has it opened up some things for you? Seen things in a light where you can lay hold of faith in a, in a more powerful way. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, that's what it's intended to do. Glory to God. Amen. Go with me to Exodus chapter 12 tonight. Exodus chapter 12. I want to kind of turn the page a little bit on this same subject and talk about training, teaching and training our children. You know, faith is what you is what you start out with. I said whenever I was very young in the Lord, you know, I, I, I got a hold of the message of faith. Thank God. Thank God I got a hold of the message of faith. Changed my life. And so I just started using it for everything I come up against. And uh, I realized I had a child that was dependent upon me and his spiritual destiny was in my hands. And I just made this, and I, and I read that scripture in Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And I claimed that. And I took my son, Steve, up in my arms, and I said, this child, I will train him up, Lord, in the way he should go. And this young, this, this little boy will never depart from the ways of God all of his life. I said that. But you know, I had to follow through with that and had to train him up in the way he should go. Amen. If you know it's faith plus action, and faith really is not faith unless it's followed up by action. In other words, the believing is half of faith, the doing is the other half. I said the believing is half of faith, the corresponding actions are the other half. James said, Faith without corresponding actions is dead, produces nothing, but you put them together. Glory to God. And that's when it works. Faith plus putting action to it. Praise the Lord. So let's talk a little bit tonight about the, about the action part of it. And let's, let's look at a principle here from uh, the 12th chapter of Exodus. 12th chapter of Exodus is when uh, Moses instituted the, the Passover. And it was because the Lord had spoken to him and told him to what to to, to tell the, the children of Israel, he said for them to take a lamb for a household and slay a lamb and take a hyssop and dip in that, into that blood and sprinkle the blood on the, on the lintel above the door on either side of the doorposts. And he said, stay inside. Have your family stay inside. Don't go out tonight. He's because God is gonna bring a great deliverance. And we know that God moved through all of Egypt and the firstborn in every house was killed that night except the houses that had the blood. Oh, glory to God. And in the morning, there was a great wailing and a great moaning and a great grieving in, in, in Egypt. And Pharaoh came to, to Moses and said, get your people and get out of here because, because God had moved in such a powerful way. So Moses instituted the Passover that they would remember what took place. 
And he said in verse three, he said, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of the month of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Notice it was a lamb for a household. Amen. The father was to take a lamb for his house. Amen. And then go over to verse 23. The Lord shall pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. In other words, God said, I want you to do something for your house, not just for you. Fathers, I want you to do this for your house. And when destruction comes, God will pass over. The destroying angel here will pass over. And destruction won't come into your house because you've got the blood on it. Well, we know this, that, that uh, much of what happened in the Old Testament happened as types and shadows of what we have in redemption. I'm, I, I guess there is no greater Old Testament type of Christ and our redemption than Passover. I guess arguably, that, that, that I don't think you could, you could make an argument for any other type that is, more, that, is more, uh, that is stronger or anything that is more typical of our redemption than the Passover. Everybody would agree with that. Well, if, if that's true, and he said it was for their household, how can that not apply to us? That redemption is for our household. If everything else about the Passover was typical and we have the, the antitype today, every detail of it is found in Christ. How could this detail not be found? In Christ. It's for, just like it was then, it is today. Redemption is for the household. God intends it to be for a house. We can be confident that the blood of Christ will exercise its mighty influence over our house until all in it are consciously and confessedly redeemed of the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Now go with me to Deuteronomy 6. Hold your place. I think we might come back to this or at least refer back to it. So hold your place there in uh, Exodus 12 and go to Deuteronomy 6. Now, Have you found Deuteronomy 6? Everybody found Deuteronomy 6? Hold your place there and go to Exodus 12. <laughs> go to Exodus 12. I said we might come back. Verse 24 says, You shall observe this thing. This is Exodus 12, 24. You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come into the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You will say, it is the Lord's Passover, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households, our households. This was done so that the children would have something to reference. 
It was done so that the children would see it. Now, we know that Israel was ordained and they were required to, to do this as, as a matter of law. This was an, a physical outward observance. In, in the New Testament, we have Christ. So we don't observe the types and shadows. We have Christ. We don't need his shadow. We have him. Amen? So we don't keep the outward observance of the Old Testament rituals and the Old Testament practices, but the truths those things uh, are, are typical of, we do act on in faith. We act on those truths. Isn't that right? And as it was for the, the children then, it's for the children today. There ought to be something in our households. There ought to be something in our faith, the way as parents, the way we live that will cause our children to see and reflect on things. Amen. So with that in mind, go now to, to Deuteronomy 6. And let's look at verse number Well, let's, let's begin in verse number four. This will take us a little, start with a little different concept, but this is a good place to start. Verse four, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, that's a very powerful statement. That's one of the fundamental Bible truths that Christianity is based on, that we don't serve multiple gods. Our God is one. Amen. And then in verse five, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment. And he said this was the greatest commandment right here. That you love the Lord with all of your heart. With all of your soul. With all of your strength. And then he said the next commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that elevates this passage here to pretty highly doesn't it? And these words. Let's go on reading. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. See, in, in Israel's time, they didn't have born-again hearts. Their inward man, their spirit man was not born again. They were still natural, unredeemed men. And so they had to have these, these observances, these, these rituals and these things that they did every day and every year and certain times. In the year. They did those things uh, to, to school themselves and to keep themselves in the practice of reflecting on what God had done. But the real issue is a heart issue. That's what God was wanting to get, it, get to. He was wanting to get it into their unregenerate hearts by repetition so that it would be imprinted on their heart. Well, today we have the blood of Christ applied to our hearts. That blood that was, that was put on the, on the doorpost, the lintel, and so forth, represents the blood of Christ being applied to our hearts individually. And, and, and thank God for that. We, we sing about the blood of Jesus. We thank God for the blood of Jesus. We're redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. But then he said this. He said in this passage, he said, these words, verse six, these words which I command you today, shall be in your heart. See, it's, it's the blood of Jesus is applied to our heart, but the word of God goes into our heart. Not just into our minds, not just into something we do outwardly, not just into a ritual. We're to have the word of God imprinted on our heart. And the only way to get it there is to feed on it. 
That's how you, that's how you feed the inward man and train the inward man is by meditating in the word. It, it, it imprints God's word on the inside of your heart. Now notice what he said next. After he said these words shall be in your heart, he said you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teaching these things to your children is the, is the main responsibility of parenting. Feeding your children, as important as that is, and as critical as it is, and as uh, uh, fundamental as you, as you know it to be, it's still not as important as putting these truths into your children's lives. It's more important than food. It's more important than putting a roof over their head and clothes on their back. Now, the Bible teaches all those things. Like Jesus said, you, you, you don't reject the one to do the other. You do it all. But in terms of importance, putting the word, teaching these things to our children is the most important thing you can do for them. Providing them with the latest electronic gadget is not the greatest need in their life. It's putting the word of God in them so they know how to believe God. They know how to trust God. That they do trust him, that they believe in him, that they love him and follow him. That's more important than any financial blessing, any kind of educational uh, uh, legacy you can leave to them or, or opportunity you can provide for them. Nothing compares to getting the truth of God into their lives. And the parents particularly the, the husband, the father, but it, it's, it's also the mother and the, and the husband and wife's, father and mother's responsibility jointly as sort of as priest and prophet of that home to be the one that schools those, those children. Now, people bring their children to church and we believe in that and we do our best to put the word of God into them from the earliest ages in our church. We put the word of God into them. But we only have them for a few hours a week. It's more important that you put the word into them than we do. It's, it's sort of like this. You provide the skeleton and we add meat to it. But you know, if you, if you think of someone, you couldn't do this without, without a skeleton system, skeletal system, but if somehow you could have the strongest muscles, the most uh, uh, developed and, and sculpted mus muscular system anyone can imagine, if you didn't have a skeletal system, you're not going anywhere. Isn't that right? You couldn't even get up. You couldn't even move. You couldn't do anything. Well, it's the same thing is true. You bring your children to church and we put meat on the bone, so to speak, but what you do at home is fundamental. And without that, you have, you have something that doesn't work like it's supposed to. Amen? Now, this word is to be written upon the blood-stained doorposts of our hearts and life. And, and that simply means that we are to live it. Now, notice what he said here. I never, really, I never really noticed this until, I think it might have been yesterday. I was going over these scriptures again, and, and I saw something differently than, I, than I'd seen before. And, and it really mirrored what I had done in my, raising my family and didn't really realize it. He said, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, there are a lot of different ways we teach. 
He said, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now notice, and you shall talk of them. You shall talk of them. When you sit in your house, now if you just stopped right there, that sounds like a Bible study, doesn't it? You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. That sounds like gathering the children around the table and opening the Bible and teaching the Bible to them, which I endorse, by the way. But this means more than that because he said, he didn't say you will teach them when you sit in your house. He said you will talk of them. And you will talk of them when you walk by the way. When you're in the automobile and you're on the way to the grocery store. When you're on the way to school in the morning. When you're on vacation. Whenever you're doing whatever you do. When you lie down and when you rise up. Now how many of you can, can see that this isn't talking about having a Bible study every hour of every day? It's not talking about getting up and having your children immediately go to the table and open their Bibles and you give them a lesson and you give them another lesson on the way to school and when you pick them up from school, you give them another Bible lesson, you give them the next set of points and then when you come home, you give them the next set. That, that's not what that's talking about. He said, you shall talk of them. All of the, that's how, that's fundamentally how we teach our children is we teach them by living this. We talk of the, we talk of them. Did you get that? You shall talk of them. My wife and I did that. The way we did it is we, our life, these words were written on our heart. Because they were written on our heart, that's, that's how we lived. We lived the life of faith. We believed in God our Savior. We believed in serving him. We believed in honoring him. We believed in trusting him for every need in life. And I'm telling you, we trusted him for every need. We, my wife and I believed God for, for virtually everything we did. We had to believe God. We were young. We had young children. They had a lot of needs in their lives. We had financial needs. We had uh, health needs. We had supply needs. We had pencils and pens and, and papers and school uh, supply needs. We had all kinds of needs. And everything in our life, we lived by faith for it. And we talked about it. We, we would be riding in the automobile and we would be thanking God for supplying all of our... Now, now, as a parent, you don't tell your children all of your financial responsibilities. That's not their job to be burdened by that. They're not, they don't need to know, you know, how uh, dire things might look to, to be. That, that's not a child's responsibility. But we kept, we kept, between the two of us, we were always talking about what God's doing. Oh, thank God. He's our healer. He's our provider. He meets our needs. Oh, thank God. We've, you know, thank God for, uh, for the money. We, we would talk about how, oh, thank the Lord. The Lord's provided money for this field trip. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. They heard us. What were we doing? We were talking of these things. We were talking of them when we rose up, 
When we walked through the day, when we laid down at night, everywhere we were, we were talking of these things. It wasn't, it wasn't religious. It wasn't ritualistic. It wasn't formulated. Are you listening to me? It was real. That's what I mean by living it. We lived the life of faith because the life of faith was imprinted on our heart. Now I said this earlier, you don't have to be a perfect parent to please God. You don't have to be perfect for these promises to come to pass. We weren't perfect parents. We weren't perfect in the natural. We didn't do everything right as parents. Particularly my wife and I, we started so young I mean, we were, we were not even grown ourselves when we started parenting. We were children ourselves, basically, almost. We didn't have a lot of wisdom that people acquire as they grow older in life and then they start having children. We had children before we had that wisdom. We made a lot of mistakes naturally. But as soon as, and, and, we, and we continued to make mistakes when I got a hold of the message of faith, we didn't become perfect parents. God responds to faith, obedience, repentance, dedication, acting on what you know. He doesn't require you to be perfect in order for him to bless you. He does require you to be faithful to do what you know to do to the best of your ability. And he knows you're gonna fail in some things, but as long as you're striving to do right, God looks at the heart. So in the natural, with natural things, we weren't perfect parents. How many of your parents are glad you, you didn't have to be perfect for God to bless your home? Yeah. But let me say, we weren't perfect spiritually either. We weren't how could we have been perfect spiritually? I'm not perfect spiritually now. How could we have been perfect spiritually then? We weren't. But we weren't hypocrites. We didn't always get it right, but we always intended to get it right. We didn't always get it right, but when we got it wrong, I'm talking about spiritually, we repented and, and, and corrected ourselves. A hypocrite is someone who says they believe one thing, but then live a completely different way. If it's one thing or a whole series of things, if it's just one thing, someone who says they believe in something or living a certain way, even on one particular matter, if they never do that, they're a hypocrite. If they don't do it at all, they're a hypocrite. Now, they might, they might be reaching for that and working toward that, and they might stumble along the way. That's not a hypocrite. That's someone like me. <laughs> That's someone like you that is growing, someone who is growing and, 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 and moving toward the mark. We see God responds to that faithfulness and he responds to the intent of your heart and he makes up for it when you don't get it right. There were times when we believed God for our children's healing and, and it didn't come. There are times we prayed for our kids and we didn't see any change. But you know what? We never changed what we believed. We kept saying it. We kept saying it. 
We'd give them medicine. We'd take them to the doctor, whatever we had to do, but we never changed what we believed. We got better at it the longer we went because we kept applying it. That's what I'm talking about. We had these things imprinted on our heart. And so we, we talked about them. We didn't, as parents, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get this to clear to you, we didn't always hit the mark, but we always aimed for the mark. And our children knew what the, where the mark was. And you know what? They didn't hold it against us when we didn't hit the mark. Because the faith that was in our heart and the truth that we lived by, that truth itself imprinted itself on our children and they saw that it was true. They saw that it was true because they saw us reaching for it. They saw that it was true because they saw evidence of it working, even though there were some times when it didn't look like to them that it worked. Are you following me? You're, what I'm saying is you're not gonna be perfect as a parent. You don't have to be for this to work. Thank God. But you have to be diligent. You have to live it. These words shall be on your heart and you shall talk of them. Now, praise the Lord. Our salvation is not according to works, but it's grace through faith. Our children will be saved as a result of our steadfast faith and obedience, not because we're perfect naturally or spiritually, but because of the truth that we live by. Amen? Now, in... Proverbs 22, of course, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Go over to, to uh, Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter six. <clears throat> Verse number four says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and ad, admonition of the Lord, the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring them up in it. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. One word here about training is important, and that is training is more than teaching. Teaching, I, we believe in teaching. He said you shall teach these things diligently. But training is more than teaching. Training is a, is a word of, of deep importance to every parent. Not just, not just telling, not just lecturing, but training. It's something higher even than teaching. Teaching makes a child know and understand what he is to do. Training influences him and sees that he does it. There's a big difference. Training deals with the mind, excuse me, teaching deals with the mind. Training deals with the will. Doing it right, doing it habitually, doing it from choice. This is the aim of training. Habits influence our children's lives by giving bent and direction. They, habits influence your lives, our lives, by giving bent and direction and preparing the way for obedience from principle. That's why it said that Jesus, when he began his ministry, it says that in, in Luke 4 that he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He didn't start that custom when he started his ministry. He, he, that custom had been started by his parents. 
Jesus' parents established the custom of going to the synagogue. And, and it was a custom in his life that helped shape his life. Isn't that right? Over in Hebrews, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. And, and, and that word forsake can also mean neglect. Do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some, or like one translation says, as is the habit of some. Some people have a habit of sporadic church attendance. That's their habit. They go when they feel like it. That's not the right habit. So what I'm talking about is establishing, uh, training involves establishing habits in your children's lives. I talked about uh, parents who won't require their children to be respectful. When, when, when do you think you need to start teaching your children to be respectful? As soon as they show disrespect. If your child can show disrespect, they're trainable. If they're capable of being disrespectful, they're capable of being respectful. Training deals with their will and sets in motion a direction in their life that, that lays the foundation for understanding honor by principle. We don't wait to teach the principle because the children are too young to understand the principle. We teach them the precept by example and reinforcing it in their lives. So when your children act disrespectful to anybody, a parent corrects that. A parent that's training their children right, they correct that child. When a child uh, is, is, demonstrates any tendency of the flesh, any, any carnality, selfishness, anger, lying, and yes, they will lie. Paul told the Ephesians, stop lying to one another, and they were fully grown. <laughs> so even adult Christians will lie. I got zero amens on that, not a one. <laughs> Crickets. What I'm saying is, whatever the, the carnality of your children, you correct that. You correct it by precept. You don't, they don't have to understand the principle. You correct, you don't let them do that. You, that's how you train them. You train them to, to, to by habit, to learn to not yield to the flesh. Well, amen. It's important. Example is better than precept. You see, it's not in what we say and teach, but, what in, but it's in what we are and do. That's where, the, that's where the power of training lies. Not in what we say and teach, but in what we are and what we do ourselves. It's not our wishes or our theory, but our life and practice that really train. It's by living the Christ life that we demonstrate to our children that we love it and we have it. And this will influence the young person to have it and love it too. But you see, if we don't live it, then we, there's no evidence that, it, that we love it. If you want your children to obey God, you obey God. 
If you want God, if you want your children to grow up and follow God's will for your life, you let them see you following God's will for your life. Now there will be times when the will of God for their life will not appeal to them. There are times when the will of God for your life doesn't appeal to you. And what you do in those times speaks volume to your children. Speaks volumes to your children. If you're a, if you're a, a single parent and you decide to start dating and you date someone that's not right and you know they're not right, don't think your child doesn't know that. Particularly when they're older. You cut corners. You know it's not the will of God, but you're lonely. You know it's not the will of God for you to be diligent in certain things in your life, but you cut corners. They see that. Over the years, it's been my wife and I's experience. We have seen this over and over and over again. Particularly, and I'm gonna say about about teenagers and, and, and even older teenagers, but, but this is true at all, at all stages, but we've seen it demonstrated really uh, uh, very clearly. We've seen parents at a time in their life where God was requiring them to make some changes and to discipline themselves and take correction in their lives and, and, and make adjustments Maybe they got offended at someone. And instead of dealing with the offense, they copped out, cut people off, wouldn't talk anymore, wouldn't have anything to do with anybody. Some people got offended at the church and left the church. And we noticed it was right at a time when their child was in the throes, in the very throes of of compromise being presented to him by this world and they were in the place right at that time where they were forming real decisions about what am I going to do for my life am I really going to obey God am I really going to am I really going to uh, go the the way turn away from the world and truly follow God or am I going to go with the crowd right at that time we saw parents compromise and not obey the will of God boy what devastation we've seen it precipitated even more ruinous decisions in their children's lives. Your children are listening, they're watching. If you want them to be faithful, you be faithful. If you want them to obey God and do what's right, you will obey God and you do what's right. When it's hard, sometimes parents say, well, my kids don't understand, you know, I'm, 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 I've made this compromise in my life and I know it's not really God's best, but you know, don't worry about it, baby. You're too young to understand why I'm doing it. Why, why are you doing that, mama? You, you, you're too young to understand. They understand more than you know. They might not understand the, the adult ramifications of it, but they know disobedience. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. If you want your kids to love God, you love him. Amen. Uh, we read this morning where it said that God chose Abraham that he might command his children and his household after them. 
Like I said earlier, faith and corresponding actions on the parent's part are the two keys in securing your child's salvation. It's not just faith, but it's corresponding actions, actually doing it. The higher the faith of the parent, the more the family will come under the, the influence of that faith and be permeated by the spirit of, of godliness. The higher the faith. Well, a parent's faith in God's promises will always be known by his faithfulness to God's will. You're not going to be you're not going to be strong in faith and be disobedient to God's plan for your life. If you if you're going to be strong in faith, it involves more than memorizing scriptures. If you're going to be strong in faith, it, it involves obedience to the will of God. Prayerfully seek and follow God's will for your own life if you want your children to prayerfully seek and follow God's will for their lives. The spirit of modernism has so permeated the church today and family life that many parents, even in the church, have no place for such a word as command. They don't even believe in commanding. The Bible says command your children. It doesn't say suggest. I noticed the song we, song we sang tonight. I'll do what you ask me to do. God rarely asks me to do anything. God tells me what to do. He is my L-O-R-D. He's not my friend. He's not my advisor. He's my Lord. He's my master. When the Spirit prompts me to do something, it's not a suggestion. It's not a, yeah, you might want to do this. Is it? No. When the Lord impresses you to do something, he means for you to do it. And I think whoever wrote this song, I hope it wasn't somebody here that wrote the song. I don't know who wrote the song, but I don't know. Maybe somebody else, hopefully somebody else wrote it. But that, that's kind of a, of a tendency of how, we've, of how we've slipped. Lord, I'll do what you ask me to do. He doesn't ask us to do. He tells us what to do. And we're to do what he tells us to do. And, and that sounds mean. If you're in a modernist, if you've been, been influenced by this world, that sounds hard. But if you've been influenced by the Bible, it doesn't offend you at all. God has the right to tell me what to do. He bought me. He paid for me lock, stock, and barrel by the blood of Jesus on that cross. He owns me. He owns everything about me. He has the right to it. He has the right to these clothes. He has the right to my time. He has the right to anything he wants me to do. It's his rights, not my right. When I accepted Christ, whether I realized it at the time or not, when I, when I took him as my Lord, I surrendered my, my rights. Fortunately, I surrendered my rights to someone who cares about me more than I care about me. But sometimes I don't see that all so clearly. Sometimes it doesn't look like his desire is good for me. And that's when I have to say, yes, sir. Do I always say yes, sir? Not always right away. <laughs> I've noticed when I'm, when I'm disobedient, God doesn't come knocking at me saying, now, son, now you know I love you, son. Now, you, you know, you know, I, 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 I know you don't always get it right and you're not perfect and I'm having patience with you, but that's not what he does. God doesn't baby me when I'm disobedient. Everybody wants the pastor to baby them. I'm taking some turns here. 
Everybody wants the pastor to baby them. I, the shepherd, the pastor shepherds the flock just the way the chief shepherds uh, pastors the flock. I try to shepherd people just the way Jesus shepherds me. And when I do wrong, he doesn't baby me. He doesn't come and just try to, you know, woo me and talk to me and, you know, kind of. Basically, when I'm in disobedience, you know what I hear from God? Big old nothing. Am I, am anybody else experience that? When I'm in disobedience, it's like, just leave him alone. Yeah, but pastor, you didn't call me when I was out of church. Neither did Jesus. Did Jesus give you a phone call when you were out of church for three weeks and say, now, sweetheart, we've missed you in church. No, your own conscience said, you better get your rear end back in church. But you want the pastor to, to baby you. Well, come on now. <laughs> it's enough that the disciple be like his master, is what Jesus said. That's why I don't run after people. Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't care for people enough to reach out for them. We do. But when, see, there's a difference. Let me explain stuff. There's a difference when people are tripped up. And, and they've, they've stumbled and they need help. That's one thing. My wife and I will go out. She'll write people, she'll write people notes that are out of church for years. Just every now and then send little notes. Just remind them, we, we miss you and we love you. We, we, it's right for a pastor. Jesus said that, that the shepherd leaves the, the 99 and goes after the one who is lost. Not the one who in full consciousness left the flock knowing fully what he did. When I find out somebody is in rebellion and they're just acting obstinate and they know better, don't expect a call from me, sweetheart. Love it or leave it, that's the way, that's the way it is. How does this have to do with my message? I'm just saying it might help you understand a little bit. If someone is struggling and they've, and they've lost their way, my wife will, will and, and I will go after them for, my wife and I have prayed for people that have left this church literally for years and prayed them back in. There are other people who are just acting hard-headed and obstinate and I haven't prayed an ounce, not a minute because they know what they're doing. Well, praise the Lord. Now you know the other side. <laughs> we, have, we all have our own responsibility. Somebody asked me today, does your church have like, like prayer? Like when I know somebody needs prayer, I can call the church? And I said, no. <laughs> you can call the office and Kendra will answer the phone and she'll pray with you. But a lot of times she'll say, well, why don't you pray and I'll just agree with you. People need to do their own praying. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Let me get back to my notes. <laughs> Parents, many times because of modernism that's crept into the church, they have no place for a word like command. They fail to see that the word command has other meanings than merely ordering their kids to behave right. The word command has other meanings. There are other applications. Parents have been clothed by God with a heavenly authority 
to be exercised in leading their children in the way of the Lord. If you're a parent, God has given you authority where your children are concerned that nobody else has. You've been, it's a, it's a God-given authority from heaven for your children. And there's an age, particularly when the, when the will of the child, like I said a couple of weeks ago, is to a great extent in your hands. And all that you need is that quiet, loving exercise of that authority in their lives. It's not, it's not commanding in the sense of ordering your children around. I would take my little ones when they didn't even know what I was doing and I would hold them in my arms and I would exercise authority. I'm not saying I would cast the devil out of them and bind and loose. That's not what I'm talking about. I would take them in my arms and thank God that, that God had given me these children and, that, and I would remind the Lord they'll live for you all the days of, of their lives. I thank you. What was I doing? I was exercising authority. I was speaking by, from the basis of my authority as their parents. I was commanding them. They didn't know it. I was commanding them. I was commanding circumstances. I was commanding life. I was commanding everything about them. I had the authority to do that. I, had the, the, I, didn't have, I can't take your children in my arms and do that same thing. Only you can do that because only you have that authority. So there's, there's the commanding uh, uh, authority that every parent has. Just faith itself exercises a commanding authority. In other words, the faith you exercise for your children is a command in the spirit realm. The faith you exercise as a parent over your child and the training you exercise is a commanding and you don't even have to, uh, you don't even have to say, you have to do this. In the spirit realm, it's there. They do have to do it. They absolutely do have to do it because you've taken authority, because you've believed God and because you've, you've lived the God kind of life. They have no, they have, they have no uh, uh, opportunity. They have, they have no choice in the matter. There's a commanding that comes from you just by the way you live. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times you have to tell your children what to do. I, you do. But it's more powerful to have your faith and your authority commanding them. The training that you give them brings your children up with that commanding. You, have, you do have to command right behavior and conduct because your children will push you. <laughs> They'll push you. But remember, parents, you're more than friends or advisors or life coaches. You've been charged with God, by God with shaping your child's will and decisions and seeing to it that they follow the Lord. See, we saw to it that our children followed the Lord. Again, not by sitting them down and lecturing them. <clears throat> Taking your, your children to church is essential, but like I said earlier, it's not enough. It's the parent's consistent, uncompromised, faithful following of the Lord that trains their children. Well, praise God. I've said this before that going to church, whether my, I never demanded one time, I don't remember one time, you can correct me if I'm wrong right in front of everybody, I don't remember one time we ever had to demand verbally 
issue a command to get our children to come to church. Not one time. So, well, you're the preacher. This, it was this way in my house when I grew up and my parents weren't in the ministry. I, we never commanded our children they had to go to church. Going to church was just an Anderson thing. It's just part of our life. Just part of our life. Just part of our life. Following God was part of our life. Now, my parents weren't in faith like I was. So when I was a young teenager, my dad was killed when I was 11. And, and I didn't really understand right away how angry that made me at God. Because everybody told me God took my dad. But by the time I was about 12 or 13, wasn't long after that, I, I, I can remember back at that age, my heart had grown very hardened against God. At 14 years of age, I saw my, my grandfather and the devastation that disease had brought into his life. And, and, and I saw aunts and uncles dying from cancer. I had a cousin killed in an automobile accident. I saw death and destruction in my family and everybody told me that it was God. And I remember making a statement to my mom. I said, if that's the God you serve, I don't want anything to do with him. That was a very mean thing to say. I'm sure it broke my mother's heart but I was absolutely certain and, and, and serious about it. See, but my parents weren't, my, my dad and my mom didn't exercise the kind of faith I'm talking about. They had the idea, train them up in the way they should go and keep your finger crossed and hope for the best. Well, that's not enough. When our children came along, we had, we had faith. Our children are going, they will never depart not when they're young, not when they're old. That pretty much covers their whole life. They will not depart. And that was where our faith was. And so they didn't backslide. Now they had some brief interludes of times in their life when they toyed with it. PG, when he was, I don't know how old he was when he got into that skateboarding cult thing that was, you know, in middle school. There was this skate, this board head. You know what I mean by the board heads? Those skateboard kids that we called them board heads. And it was this kind of dark, rebellious group. And it, it wasn't the skateboard. It was a culture around that developed around that. And Greg started slipping into that. And we had to take authority over that. We saw it and we rebuked it. He came right out of it. Just like that. So I'm not saying our children didn't they weren't tested and tried. They were. But we didn't, we, didn't, we, we didn't go to Greg and say, now sit down here, son. We're going to cast that skateboard devil out of you. <laughs> that would not have been a good thing to do. He wouldn't have understood what in the world we were talking about. But there was a spirit behind it, and we took authority over it. Just took authority over it. He'd come out of it. Steve had uh, an, an issue or two like that when he was in, in, in high school. We just had to take authority over it. But there was, a, there was a commanding in our lifestyle. And so there was no... Now, I'm not saying that you as a parent won't have to make your kids come to church. If that's where you are, definitely you have to do it. But we never had to make our kids come to church because there was a commanding influence. They were commanded to come. They just didn't know it. They didn't know it, but it was there. It was there because of our life. 
Well, praise the Lord. Uh, glory to God. There is so much here. I talked about attitudes. and Man, there's a lot here. Parents, watch over your young person, your children's media, what they're exposed to. Watch over the music they listen to, the TV they watch. Monitor it. Monitor the time they spend on electronic devices. Don't just let them, don't just let them use these things all they want to or they'll just be there all the time. Monitor the, the internet use at home and when they're away from home. Put, put programs on their devices that restrict them and monitor their actions. You mean you monitor your children? Now, we didn't have to do that in our day, but would I do it today? Absolutely. And they'd know it. Monitor the movies they watch, the video games they play, what they're doing on their phones, their e-readers, anything with internet access. Watch their books, their magazines. Watch what they bring home from school. Just because they went to the library and picked up a book that's not on assignment, find out what, they, what it is they're reading. Well, praise the Lord. It's your responsibility as the parent to, to monitor and screen everything your child sees and hears, particularly when they're younger. Monitor their associations, what kind of friends they have. Don't let them run with just any crowd. Running with the wrong crowd was a, was a big detriment to me. I had a crowd at church, but I had a different crowd at school. And then as I got a little older, the crowd at church became just as bad as the crowd at school. But it started with the, the crowd that I ran with at school, none of them were saved. None of them went to church. None of them knew anything about the Bible. None of my group, now there were a lot of people, and this is in the 60s, you know, there were a lot of people in school back then that went to church. But in my, my group that I run with, not a one. And that was not good. Now I know you can't go to school with your children, but you can, you can find out what they're, who they're talking to after school. And if it's not good, you, you, need to, you need to intervene. What do I do? Do I just tell my children they can't have those friends? Maybe, maybe not. You may have to take authority over it in the spirit realm. That's why God has to give you wisdom. But you can't be absent. You can't be just negligent. and say, well, I don't know what to do. If you don't know what to do, then you're not praying. Because God will show you what to do. Well, I don't know what to do. God doesn't say, well, I don't either. Never known anybody like your kid. <laughs> Wouldn't hurt some of you to smile. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Even church friends can be a bad influence. As I was an older church, as an older teenager in high school, there was a couple of my church friends that were the worst. And I was as much bad influence on them as they were on me. I remember there, we, in, in the church of God, they had this tradition of, I'm going to go way over here tonight, but is this all right? We're just waiting for the youth to come back anyway. We've got another hour and a half, so no, we don't. I'm just kidding. White man just said, no, we don't. <laughs> in, the, 
in the, in the church of God, our denomination, we had something called every spring we called sweetheart banquets. And in the 1940s, my parents' generation came out of World War II. They did their dating on the front porch of the girl's house. Very few people in their day, in coming out of the Depression, had their own vehicles. They drove the farm truck if they went courting, and they went over to the girl's house and they sat on the porch and drank lemonade with the parents. I'm stereotyping, but that's, that was typical. Things really changed in America after World War II. The prosperity that came after the war set the stage for a big decline in American morality. And teenagers started getting their own cars in the 1950s. And suddenly, teenagers were on their own. You ever seen the movie Grease? Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't good. I'm all for cars and I like sports cars and all of that. But I'm telling you, it wasn't good for young people to have that kind of freedom. When my generation, but well, let me get back to my point. Our parents had this romantic idea of dating. They wanted our, their children, you know, to date, and, but to do it in the church. Not, we didn't go to the prom. We didn't, want to, we didn't want to participate in the world system of dating. So our church set up its own system of dating. It was the dumbest thing they could have done. They set up a dating system in the church for teen, young teenagers, 14 years old going to the sweetheart banquet. And so the sweetheart banquet came every year and the boys in the church would pick a girl and invite to the sweetheart banquet and everybody would get all dressed up and we'd buy corsages and for the girls and we'd have this big banquet and everybody went in couples. Totally unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. Children date way too young. That was pushed on us by our parents. Well, they didn't realize that a big revolution was happening in America where morals were concerned, sexual morals. They had no idea that when we dated, we were fooling around. I don't know what they were thinking, but I, well, I said, I, I remember there was one of the dads in our youth group, one of the, a girl that I dated in our church, and I remember him making the statement No, this was, this, was Chuck, this was Chuck's girlfriend's dad. I won't say his name, you know. And uh, I, we would go over to his house like after church and then we would go out. We'd, you know, we'd have a car and there'd be a, like three couples in the car, two couples in the car and we'd go out, you know. And I remember him making the statement, I just, I'm so happy that my girls are dating church boys because I know I can trust church boys. And we were looking at each other and said, right on, dude. You, yeah, that's right. You just, you just trust us with your daughters. <laughs> because there was monkey business going on that shouldn't have been going on. And because he was of another generation, he couldn't, have, he couldn't imagine that. They weren't allowed to do that. I know there were stories that happened every now and then, but not, not on a wide scale like it, was, like it was changing in my day. I don't know how I got into that, but what I'm saying is... <laughs> What I'm saying is just because your child is budding up with a church friend, that might not be a good influence on your young person, your child. Well, praise the Lord. 
How do I deal with that without hurting somebody's feelings? Well, again, he'll have to tell you. I don't know. But I'm not going to sacrifice my child for the sake of hurting somebody else, some other family's feelings. Well, amen. Praise God. You need to, to monitor their associations. Don't let them become romantically involved too early before they need to be. And they and absolutely you start by, by setting a principle in and this was a commandment we had in our house. You're not going to, to become interested in. They weren't even dating at the time. But you're not gonna like a girl at school, we would tell our boys. There's no liking a girl. We know what that means. You know, when you like somebody, if they're not saved and spirit-filled, uh-uh. They're off limits. Well. If, if we want them to choose right, we don't let them practice by choosing wrong. And, and there were some times we had to, to take, take our boys aside and say, that girl you're interested in, it's no. Cut it off. Did they like it? No. They're happy now. They appreciate it now because they both married good. They both married good because we wouldn't compromise. We know parents, pastors, friends of ours. This one particular, and Angela's talked about this before. She told us at her son's wedding, she, she sat there and wept and everybody thought that she was crying because she was just so happy for her son. She was crying because she knew he had married the wrong woman. She knew it. And shortly thereafter, it's on the rocks. Well, if you want that to happen, just let them do what they want to. Just let them follow their little passionate hearts and whatever, whoever's attract, they're attracted to, just let them go ahead. And they will choose wrong. If you want them to choose, choose right, then you monitor them. Well, praise the Lord. And it's not just young people. You don't let them associate with unwholesome adults. Unsaved adults. I don't care if they are family. I know a, 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 a lady, a mom came to me in this church and she said, I'm, my husband and I moved from where we used to live, which was in another state, and moved to Florida to, to get away from an ungodly influence from our relatives. She said there was a, a relative of ours, I think it was her niece, that had come out as a lesbian. And her this woman's sister, I get, if I get the, the relations wrong, it might not be right, but the story's right, issued an ultimatum to the rest of the family. You accept my daughter's sexuality without any grief or we're cutting you off. You'll have no place in our family. We will cut you off if you don't welcome and celebrate and acknowledge our daughter's sexual preference. And so this lady told us, how can we raise our children? How can we go along with that? How can we feign giving approval to something that is so sinful and then expect our own children to have healthy biblical views of sexuality? And so they left home, they left the state, took their children and came here. That's what I'm talking about. That's training your children up. 
That's, that's commanding your children. Their children didn't know. They were young. They didn't know what was going on. Parents knew exactly what they were doing. You think God won't honor that? He'll honor that big time. He will absolutely honor that. Well, amen. Praise God. Just cruising through here. Let me see. Activities. Well, praise God. Praying for your children and let me say this. Just I said I was going to say something that might surprise you. When our children were being raised, when we were raising our kids, a better way to say that, we never made our children read the Bible. There's never a requirement on the in the Anderson household. <laughs> Didn't he? Forgot about that. <laughs> That'll sound good on the recording, won't it? We didn't require our boys to read the Bible. We didn't require them to pray. We didn't require them to come to church. They just knew they had to come because of our lifestyle. They knew they should pray because of our lifestyle. They knew they should read their Bible because of our lifestyle because we prayed and read our Bible. When we were at Rama, there was a couple that, that moved from Jacksonville. We had just met them before we moved, went out to Rama. We met some people that were going to Rama from Jacksonville the same uh, time we were, and we all kind of got together. And actually, we helped move some of their furniture. We had met them just a few weeks before we moved. So when we got out to Rama, we rented, my wife and I rented a townhouse with our family. And this couple rented one two doors down in the same uh, unit, two doors down. They had a, a son, or they had a daughter who was about 14, 13, maybe 14, 13 or 14. They had a son that was about, about 11. And I think they were new to the faith message, you know, in, in you know, living by faith. But I would go over to their house sometimes in the afternoon because I was keeping, you know, Greg and, and, uh, in the afternoons. And I would go over there and their children would be inside reading their, spending their hour reading the Bible. And not just reading the Bible, but if, if I remember correctly, making this long list of confessions of faith. They did it every day. It was regimented. They have to do it. They have to read, their, have to read the Bible for an hour. And the parents had this long confessions of faith that they had to say over and over and over. Steve was out playing on their bicycle, Greg was out playing, you know, where I could keep an eye on him. He was like five. Their kids were inside reading their Bible, making their confessions. See, that it became very legalistic. Not in the sense of the law of Moses, but in the sense of it was, it was something they had to do and there was no life in it. We never did that with our kids. They, we, they didn't have to read the Bible. They weren't demanded to read the Bible, but we noticed they read it. If, what if they hadn't read it? We'd have just read it in front of them more. <laughs> they would have gotten the picture. But we didn't demand that out of our children. And our children, because we lived a life. I was in the word of God all the time. I, we were talking about what we were believing God for, not in all the detail they needed to know, but we were thanking God for meeting our needs and just coming through on different things. And, and, and so the, the word and prayer and faith and, and all of that was just part of our lives and they, it, was, it was lived in front of them. 
and they saw the benefit of it. I think I made this statement earlier. If not, I'll make it now. A life of victory is the greatest teacher your children will ever have. My children saw early on that what God would do for them because they saw God come through miraculously. They saw God answer prayer and do things that there was no earthly explanation for. It was supernatural. Well, you compare that to what the world offers with all of its glitz, with all of its fun, with all of its, with all of its pizzazz. It can't match for a minute God healing you when you're down. Living in victory, living the life of victory is the greatest teacher, one of the greatest teachers your children will ever have. So we did that. I, you know what happened to that family? After we got out of Ramah, when the son was in his early 20s, he committed suicide. Now we don't know any, we had lost touch with him. We just found out, you know, through source, but we don't, so we're not, I'm not trying to, to, uh, Blame them for that. What I'm saying is it, they're, they're, what they did didn't produce. The daughter was unmarried, had a child. We don't know if she ever came back to the Lord. I, I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is being religious won't produce what we're talking about. Being legalistic and regimented would be a better word because the word legalism today is just wrongly applied. But being regimented is not what will produce it in your children. We were fun with our children. We, were, we cut up with our children. We had a relaxed atmosphere with our children. And we just made Christianity a part of everything out in the open and it imprinted their lives. We didn't, again, it may be surprising to you. You didn't make your kids read them? No, I didn't. Am I saying don't, don't have your children read the Bible? I'm not saying that. Do whatever is right for you, but make sure what you do as a parent comes from life, comes from inspiration of God, comes from your life experience and flows out of you naturally. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Has this helped you? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Glory to God. God will give you wisdom and you'll need it. You'll need it and he'll give it to you. That's what he's, let it, has anyone lacked wisdom? Let him ask of God. You know, just use that scripture. I used that scripture just the other day. There was something I needed, I needed wisdom on, a decision. I said, no, Lord, I don't, I'm asking you for wisdom and you said if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it to me. You won't upbraid me or criticize me and you'll, you'll give it to me liberally with, without reproach and, and I'm gonna ask in faith without doubting because I know he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and, and tossed and I won't, he shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord if I'm double-minded, so I'm not. I believe I receive it. Two days later, I knew exactly what to do. I just knew. Well, that's, God will do that in every, we did that with our children. We didn't know what to do. We'd ask the Lord, he'd show us. Amen. You agree with that, Sister Iris? Amen. Praise the Lord. Discipline. Hmm. Don't have time for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll tell you this, the Bible teaches spanking. The spirit of this world, the spirit of this age is all against it. And if your children or you were educated in higher education any time in the last 50 years, you've been affected by it. 
Because for at least 50 years, colleges and universities have taught that spanking is bad. That it will warp your child. The Bible teaches just the opposite. That not spanking will warp your child. And I can show you scriptures. Not just one, but a few. Several. But if you go to the university system, and if I, I don't, you know, and there are a lot of singles who, who, are in, who are in the university system right now, they need to hear this. I hope they listen to this message. You have to, you have to resist ungodly information because it comes to you in our, particularly in our advanced education system. I mean, there are just no uh, holds, bards, anti-God, anti-Christianity, anti, I mean, they mock the Lord Jesus Christ and everything about him openly. So people say, well, you know, I don't, I don't believe in spanking. Well, the Bible believes in it. The Bible teaches it. And you know, when I went to school, when I was in junior high, we, I mean, you got in, in, you sent to the dean, they paddled your butt. I got, I mean, I had the dean bend me over and grab me by the seat of the pants and get that board out. You knew it when he hit you that thing. Anybody else experience that? that? That was institutionalized in the school system. Where did that come from? It came from the Bible. It's been, it's been the will of God. It's been understood for, from the beginning. But now, in the last 50 years, we're being enlightened. And that's not right. We need, you would think that the one who wrote the manual on life would be more trustworthy than the Johnny-come-lately sociologists that have come on the scene in the last 50 years. You can put your chips wherever you want to. I'm gonna put my chips on the Bible. It's because the God who created us told us how to train our children. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I'm not gonna apologize. I'm going to emphasize what the Bible says. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Have you had enough? I've only been an hour and five minutes. You thought it was longer than that. Actually, I didn't turn this on for about 10 minutes. So I'm, okay, okay. This is a little longer, but I'm closing it out tonight. I don't want to have another session on this. There's a whole lot more I could say. Another time, another channel. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.